0: are we not the best of some friends already only in media hello everyone and welcome to honey and maple's new favorite podcast it is time to do a little bit of stargazing joining me mark hello how are you
1: I'm doing just great. I'm here for all the turtle news.
0: Oh uh, Turtle we the the thing that the thing that bothers me about this, and we're gonna go a little bit behind the scenes, give you give you listeners a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, is Katie has been working for weeks on a series of special sound drops and special special music and all this as we were gearing up for Turtle Watch 2021 and the status of course of Brayden Holtby's Turtles, Honey and Maple and what was gonna happen, right? We had this whole multi-week, multimedia. It was gonna be a thing. And then we just heard they they made it safely into the country no issues they're they're with Braden and everything's fine and now we've wasted all this time on stuff you're, you're never going to hear it i i have to i have to confess like we're you're never going to hear the the song mark wrote about honey and maple it's just we can't do it now it's just a tragedy it's I, i'm sorry you put in all that work mark
1: well i may put it on my own personal website and it's at least going in the portfolio
0: i know are you going to put the explicit version or the radio edit because it oh. was crass
1: I always go with the explicit version. <laughs> now, is see, now, is really now
2: really a funny. good is now a good time to tell you that they're actually tortoises, not turtles.
1: I, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah,
2: there goes the two weeks.
0: <laughs> now we're just all screwed up. So I guess we're just gonna we're gonna have to talk about hockey since since Tortoise Watch is is just completely off the rails and i apologize fans of course we're going to talk actual hockey we're going to talk a little bit about traverse city um what happened why it happened how much we should care about it and of course the dallas stars open training camp today so uh, you heard the the cameo a moment ago so mark and i will be joined by taylor here down the line to talk a little bit of training camp news because finally after after many long barren months exciting things are afoot again in starsville and we cannot wait to crack it all open so we'll just dive right in mark that all right with you it is perfect so then traverse city i've i'm always i'm always a little bit torn by this right because the immediate thing that you go to when talking about Traverse, it's one of those classic, like how much does it matter? I guess is where we'll start and, or what portions of it matter. And Mark, what's, what's your perspective, kind of what, what role do you think Traverse city plays in terms of, you know, the, the Dallas stars is it a canary in the coal mine for a good, bad season. Is it a referendum on prospects Do wins matter losses, any of that? Like what, what actually matters when we think about the tournament?
1: well i I tend to look at it and say that if you see some upside that's probably something that reflects reality um, if, if things aren't working out the way that you anticipate that they're working out um, that doesn't necessarily reflect something that is just wrong with a with a prospects game you you, you never I are sure what they've been tasked to work on um, so for instance two years ago I, I this is this is kind of my upside story, which, you know, Adam Fox was was at Traverse City and just looked like the dominant player that he turned out to be, and he was heads and shoulders above anybody else in that whole tournament. This year, I was kind of going in thinking, you know, this would be a great time for somebody like Thomas Harley or Riley Damiani, um, you know, Ty D'Elandria, let's see if they can be the experienced one who's just you know head and shoulders above everybody else um and and they really weren't but i don't think that says where they are
0: yeah i I I like the way you put that it doesn't say where they are because there's a whole body of work and it's it's at the end of the day it's four games in the you know kind of waning stages of an off season and expecting a you know star turn pun intended it's maybe not the thing to do and of course dallas finishes with a one and three record and honestly i don't think that part matters i think you're right the the tournament's all about individual player performance and it's also about player performance relative to expectations right and and you're not so much watching to see like nobody's watching the tournament to see if thomas harley is good at hockey right there's enough evaluation information yeah like and, and you can even say the same thing about guys further down the depth chart like by and large nobody's going into that tournament or coming out of that tournament with serious question marks about what they are it's it's much more of a you know skill assessment right it's it's sort of that you're looking to see if if anything has changed versus versus your expectations And, and i think that you know it's not even so much about how the teams come together it's a it's a drop-in tournament effectively most of these players haven't spent significant amount of time playing with one another nor nor will they right so it's it's just trying to kind of trying to get that look about you know are are some of the has um you know one of the things that came up is is you know, in the off season, Thomas Harley is physically larger now right how are the more mature prospects able to impose themselves how is a smaller prospect like Maverick Bork able to get up and down the ice like is it a is it a hindrance you're you're looking for for traits more than you're looking for anything like holistic in my opinion
1: right exactly and i mean one of the things i went into looking at was just how how the European guys were going to look coming over and getting there. You know, this is the first real chance we we've, we've had to see them on smaller ice. How do they adjust to that? Um, and, and really, you know, unless you spent some time in, in in the depths of of the internet, you know, other than highlights, you probably haven't seen a whole lot of game action with any of the three that uh, that we saw here at Traverse City. But I also take something like uh, you know. Riley Tufte, I thought, was pretty impressive, especially the way he started out, and I think that was a little bit of momentum that was coming uh, out of the off season. Um, he had some really good performances uh, with uh, what was the what was a little uh, was it a three out three tournament, whatever, up in Canada where he was playing with a bunch of other guys, and their team ended up winning. So he he looked like somebody who was. Uh, a man amongst boys, and and he lived up to that. So again, it, it's kind of pick and choose what you're going to look at. Yeah, you know, on, on the defensive end, we really don't have a whole lot of people there other than Harley that you're looking at as as even you know, big time solutions in the AHL. So I, I I tended to not look at that as much.
0: Yeah, there wasn't a lot on the back line, at least in the immediate term. There there are of course some, um, you know, longer term prospects that that might have been you know that that maybe maybe factors down the road right but I, i think you're right there's nobody that's really outside of harley there's there's nobody that's really knocking on the door from that side i think i was interested in seeing grishnikov but not from a a point of view that i think he's going to be in the mix in dallas next year obviously not but like you were saying i just I don't have a lot of information there. I'd never, never seen much of the player and there's an intriguing skill set present. And so for me, that was one of the things that I was looking for, just, Hey, I want to start wrapping my brain around, um, around who this player is and, and start, you know, dreaming of a day when he's wearing the victory green and and kind of what gets him there and what that might look like. But I I did want to ask you, um, You know, are there any players relative to expectations, relative to potentially open spots on on search? You know, we talked a little bit a couple podcasts ago about like what you'd be looking for heading into the tournament. Coming out of the tournament, what were the big things that you saw?
1: Um, I I thought I really liked what the European guys did, especially uh, especially Peterson. Um, I think he has a chance to kind of be the this year's Adam Mascherin if they can find a third to go on uh, on a line.
0: Um, yeah, I think yeah. it was notable. He had pretty significant time in the top in the top six over the course of the tournament, including some time on the wing with with Damiani, which is, you know, again, talking, you know, kind of reading into things. If if he's playing there in this tournament, it's because the stars want to see how he does in that role. Right. So you can kind of. Yep. there's some dots to connect
1: yeah and, and to tell you the truth i Oscar Bach was kind of somebody who went a little under the radar um but mainly because he was put in a fourth line center role, mm-hmm. and I thought he did pretty good at that and and that may be a role that he can continue to expand into so uh you know again it's 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 expectations, a lot of it's just kind of looking at the guys and seeing what their games look like and and Maybe the other thing that I saw was just watching Harley. Harley had a much better game when he was playing with Max Martin than he did uh, in the multiple games he was playing with uh, with Bartow. Uh, I, there, there was this interview last year where, where he kind of, you know, I, I love playing with uh, with offensive defenders, guys who can help me move the puck on up. And and that's kind of a continuation of that. I, he, he just may be more comfortable playing with, somebody who's not your your standard stay-at-home defender
0: which you know that's isn't that just the classic NHL orthodoxy you have a guy that can move the puck so of course it makes sense to put him next to a guy that doesn't necessarily do that because that's it's the way it's always been done and and by Cracky it it worked then and it should work now
1: yeah yeah exactly and and you know we saw the same thing kind of last year when he was uh when he was originally paired with with uh, Joe Sassoni and then uh Toward the end was playing with Ben Gleason, and and when he started playing with Gleason was kind of when his game started taking off.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's we talked about this with Miro, and I think that this is something that modern NHL rosters and, and coaches are going to have to start grappling with. It's that you put skill with skill, and the idea that you have, you know, if you've got five players, you have five slots on the ice, right? And so you need five players that can contribute in some way, shape, or form, in all phases, and you just can't afford anymore in the modern NHL to have have a piece out there, a player out there that only does, uh, you know, that that doesn't do at least a, a passable job at everything.
1: Right. Exactly, and, and it's why somebody like Grishnikov's so intriguing because you see the size already at, at the age of 18, and and yet he already has puck skills. So that kind of larger skilled not defensive defender uh, is is something that is the way the leagues go.
0: Now let's let's drill in a little bit. We we brought up Harley and of course the big topic last season, last podcast was whether or not he had any any kind of immediate um, role at the NHL level where he was going to wind up. So, you know, of course after spending all this time talking about how the, the tournament itself is is not definitive, let's immediately talk about the tournament as being definitive and how would you rate his what Did he help himself, hurt himself, or stay in neutral relative to finding a way to the NHL based on Traverse City?
1: Um, Ultimately, I think training camp is so much more important. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a little surprised at how many times I was looking up uh, and seeing the puck in our net and having Harley be the guy who's a split second late covering his guy.
0: He even had some comments talking about his his coverage and and how it wasn't where it needed to be and it wasn't where he wanted to be.
1: Yeah, and and so yeah, you put that on the thing to work with. I think uh, I don't think anybody's surprised that that's the area that he needs to work on. So uh, yeah, it's confirmed. Um, but let, let's see what happens in training camp because this uh, we I, again we we aren't sure what he was tasked with doing.
0: I think that's big. I I will say I so I agree with you. I think that that training camp is going to matter much more. And and that's where he's going to get a serious look. He was never going to make none of these players were ever going to make the team out of Traverse City. But I will say that the one thing it did do was if, if you are somebody that buys – as somebody that buys into the narrative that he mm-hmm. might be better served playing at the AHL level because Dallas needs him to be a top-pairing defenseman down the line or at least a top-four defenseman down the line, it, it is – it does fit that narrative of, you know, okay, the the skating, the puck moving, the the forward – you know, the offensive stuff is probably there. And I think that you could drop him on an NHL roster today and Thomas Harley would contribute in a positive way offensively, right? You could find a role for him if you wanted to. I think what Traverse City reinforced and what he will need to disprove over the course of training camp to really have a shot to make the team is if you are someone that buys into the idea that he needs to, that his expectations are higher, right, talking about expectations relative to, um, you know, relative to each individual player, I think it highlights like, hey, if if he really is what you project him to be long-term, then he needs, if you send him to the NHL, there is more of a chance that a coach is going to specialize him, right, because a coach isn't going to care. I think Mark, you even said this, but it was a comment last, last podcast, right? Some There's a subset of NHL coaches that talk about, hey, the purpose of the NHL isn't to develop a player, right? You're expected to be developed once you get there. So the risk that you run and the, the narrative that gets reinforced of Traverse City is, well, if you, want, if you want Harley to be more than he is, then you're going to need to put him in an environment where there isn't going to be a pressure to hide him from the things he's bad at.
1: Right. And and you also don't want to uh, destroy any kind of confidence that uh, that that he needs to have in order to do what makes him best.
0: And so but but with all of that said, right, like it's a one off tournament with a makeshift team that's notoriously tough on defenders who, of course, buy into systems. Right. It's it's one thing to Yes, you can read into individual assignments and individual mistakes, but there is something to be said for the continuity of a defensive partner and the continuity of an actual kind of team run system. So, you know, he's got some work ahead of him, I think. I don't think anything happened in Traverse City that, that is a absolute non-starter, right? No, this guy can't do it. I think he flashed enough on either side that, you know, it'll be it'll be an interesting training camp, but it was always going to be an interesting training camp.
1: Right, exactly. And, and the thing, you know, this always slips by. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that Martin and Bartow, their job at training camp uh, moving forward is to find themselves a slot. You know, they're, they're fighting for the seventh defender slot on, on Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, if you take a look at the depth chart of what, of what Dallas has on, on the blue line, there were a whole bunch of guys who were going to get time in, in, in Dallas and Cedar park who weren't anywhere near Sniff and Trevor City. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um,
1: how about, how about the rest? Anybody else stand out? Um, you know, Delandry I thought was, uh, was good at the things that he's good at. You know, yep. the, he, he, he was a leader. Uh, he, he was, you know, had, had, good puck skills. He went into the boards and, and was able to retrieve pucks. Um, I, I had a tough time with him on the top line. Um, just because I'm not sure that he's, his role isn't necessarily as a skilled center. And, and I thought he was a bit overshone by, uh, by Damiani and, yeah. and Peterson. And so by, by the end, I think they, they moved him out of that role and, and put Damiani back center, and and that may be a a better way to look at him.
0: Yeah, and but I think that's, that's
1: his,
0: his. He was fine. He was fine, and I I agree with you. I think his big challenge, Delandria, meeting in training camp is, you know, Dallas has that. We'll we'll just call it the Jason Dickinson role is now open, and there there is an opportunity on this roster for someone to be that you know kind of middle six. Um, you know, or or maybe more appropriately, a bottom six player with with upside, right? Someone that, that will play primarily down the lineup but has enough chops to skate a shift with Jamie Ben if he needs to, right? And and I think that there's some attention on DeLandria as to whether or not, you know, if if he can find a her- you know maybe even exceed it, but I think that last season they learned they really like a lot of aspects of his game. And if he can add a little bit more consistency and a little bit more skill, I you know the fact that they tried him up top in Traverse City and really put him in a a leadership role, like it was his team in a lot of ways. and And the fact that he didn't, you know, like you were talking about, it wasn't like he was an adam fox and and tournament mvP and and putting the team on his back. But the team played very well. On on the balance, and and he was a big part of that, right? He he set the right tone, and I think if you're looking at Delandria as a you know kind of future contributor slash leader in that locker room, he he didn't he didn't disappoint you, I would say. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and the thing Delandria is in kind of an interesting position just because his game is is kind of set up for a more mature body than he currently has, mm-hmm. and and so. He he he's if he's in the NHL he's playing against some some men who have played that game a lot longer than he has and have the body to back it up. And and he can be valiant and go in there and try and do it, but he's gonna have a tough time of it.
0: Yeah, he's a weird one. He gives me a vibe and I, I don't mean that I think he's going to have one of those like late in prospect cycle renaissances and suddenly be a, a world beater, but I I think there's something there with with Delandry at the NHL level. I, I don't know where exactly it's going to be. Maybe it's a you know kind of a, a Steve odd or even Jason. You know, talked about Jason Dickinson, but I I still think when I watch him play that that while yes there's some way to go before we get there, I think the Stars have a player on their hands. I really. Oh, I
1: do. I, I fully agree, and and I my concern is is strictly. I, I can kind of envision what his game is and, and being able to pull that off as, as in essence, a kid is, is going to be tough. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he can want it all he wants. And and you know, this kid knows how to go through, through adversity after the time that he stuck with the, uh, with the team in Flint. Um, so I, I have no doubt that uh, that he is willing to put in what it takes. I just think that, you know, it, the difference between a, a nineteen and twenty-year-old body and a twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old yeah. body is—it's significant, it's, and, it's significant and, and when you're a professional
0: that. athlete and you're you're nothing—you're doing nothing but build that body for your sport, right? Like it's not—it's not you or I, you know, popping a couple of rec league games here and there and and you know developing that way. These are, you know, yeah, two or three extra years in professional athlete terms is a significant development of of physique.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and if your if your game is built around bringing the ire of the other team down on you,
0: um, <laughs> yeah. it's
1: it's a little tough when your body isn't quite ready for it. Yeah,
0: it can and I think as well the risk you run with that is, I I again I don't think he's going to be um you know challenging any scoring records, but I do think that there there is some offense there, and I think yeah. the other risk you run, the other interesting thing he's going to have to navigate is how hard does he fight at the risk of, of losing, you know, if, if he, you all, if you're the stars, you almost don't want him to commit to chasing that role too hard too early because you kind of want it to be more than that.
1: True. And it's, true this, but it's, it's,
0: too beat up bringing that ire down on him to ever, ever develop as the sort of secondary or tertiary scoring option that he could potentially be at this level.
1: Well, and the thing is, I think, uh, I, I think taking a, a leadership role in in Cedar park is, is a, a great way to see that. And I, I kind of the, the way the team's set up. It's the the guys we're talking about here. I, I you know I, I'd love to see some of the prospects up, but they're they're lining themselves up to be the first call up when somebody goes down, and and, and they want you know somebody like DeLandry is great because he, he there's more than one role he can fill, and so. It, you know some of these guys it's like okay you're the replacement for so-and-so yep and if they and if they're healthy all year you're never coming up um delandria has the ability to i think be the fill-in for a number of people
0: yeah i agree he's he's that that special i guess he's he i think this team wants him to be jason dickinson but hopefully with yep. a with with a little more just,
1: scoring touch. Yeah, a little bit more scoring <laughs> touch, oversize. a
0: little bit less he, facial damage. Um I want to yeah. hit two other players before we move into training camp. The mm-hmm. first is reigning AHL Rookie of the Year Riley Damiani. And what was your, you know, this is he he didn't spend any time of course with with the stars last season. He was instead torching the AHL. What was your take on his tournament?
1: I was real pleased to see him just kind of pick up the chemistry with Peterson. Because the, the question hanging over everything there was always, you know, okay, he's he and Mascarin were, uh, were the dynamic duo, if mm-hmm. you will. They'd spent time together in Kitchener. they their, their games melded. So how much of that was Damiani? How much of it was the combination of him and Mascarin? Can he do it alone? Can he do it alone? And, and, and I don't think it, it's really alone, but, you know, how— you know, how can he adjust his game to a new guy with a similar set of skills? And, and in my mind, he showed that he could do that. And, and so that's a nice thing to have in the bank.
2: Yeah. Um, he also has
1: a great shooting, shooting touch. He continues to pass well. So you know, in, in my mind, if you lose anybody who, who is a scorer in Dallas, I think Damiani has to be at the top of the list
0: especially he's that guy, if he gets, if he has a strong first month, right, he's, he's going to be in the conversation because right now, right, the last, you know, Dallas pulled up Gurianov and Hints, and they haven't really replenished that level of scoring at the AHL level, right? There's not that prospect there right now. So you're, you're exactly right. If he comes out and, you know, and you're, you know, Damiani's challenge is going to be like, you know, you were correct in that it's not that he has to do it on his own. I don't mean on his own in the sense of by himself create offense. I just mean prove that he was not the product of a relationship with another specific player, right? He needs to continue yep. to be able to generate offense. Yes, he he absolutely can and should do that with other offensive skilled, you know, top six players, right? But his, his big task you know, for this coming season is to show that he can do it when he's no longer a kind of surprise and a rookie and to show that he can do it in a myriad of circumstances, not just as, you know, not just in one specific alignment because you're, you're dead on. If Dallas finds themselves unable to score again and the kid comes out and, and Cedar park and is, is putting it in the back of the net, then you at least have to have a conversation with him in a way that you maybe don't on, on other roles in the lineup, because you're right. It's, pretty much you know it's pretty much damiani if you're looking for a you know a, an offensive specialist in the in the system
1: yeah and and i guess you know my mind is is all about okay i i, I don't have the standard idea of what people are saying about lines i think you're very likely going to see something with uh with with sagan radulov and Kiviranta. And you know, if Givaranta is off to uh, a bit of a bad start, I don't know how you don't try and work uh, work somebody like Damiani into that. And I, I understand you might have to find a way to, to get a left winger on that. But uh, but that's the kind of replacement that uh, that just makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, those top six roles. And now I want to hit one more thing before we move on. Of course, we we've, we've spent all this time talking about how you know, pleased we are. And and I actually on the balance was pleased with Dallas's performance, but Hey Wes, wait a minute. Uh, We're, we're talking all of these positives about a team that won one out of four games. How man, the goaltending just does not fill you with a lot of confidence or, or it it was bad. It was,
1: it, it was the defense gave up a lot of bad stuff and there was very little to stop it once it got past the defense. Yeah, I was I was disappointed, especially after watching the last twelve games of the year with the uh, with Shield in Texas last year. Yeah, um, and I, I think maybe they just got a little shell shocked because you know they're they're dealing with uh, you know neither one has seen professional level forwards coming at them that much. <laughs> And, uh, and boy were and, they? And, and, and they were, and this, this was pond hockey in some senses, and that puck was coming from everywhere, and I think it was coming a little quicker than they were ready for it. and And at a certain point that hits your confidence, and then it gets worse, and you know they're, they're, it's a landslide for a reason. It, it, everything keeps piling on top
0: yeah I think it was the last I saw is is shield shield got uh, he started twice um technically he finished one of those starts but it was only because he came back in after being pulled but he was pulled in both of his starts um once after giving up five goals once after giving up six goals I think that you are correct in that defensively in front of him it's not like he was getting uh, it, it's not like he was playing behind the the ninety nine stars and and getting a lot of help but at the same time it's it's still, I think he was 6.48 save percentage, something like that. So you can absolutely say that the quality of shots against was an issue, but yeah. there was also, I, I thought positioning was bad. He, there was the, the, the way that he moved in yeah. some instances, I think really, it, it just, it, it caught me off guard. Um, you know, he, he'd gone to college route. he had a little bit more experience. I was, I was a little bit, um, that was one of the things that really struck me is I was not I was I was expecting to see him be a lot more fluid and a lot more successful, even with the challenges of playing. in like you said, a, a kind of ad hoc pond hockey situation, but it was
1: bad. Yeah. And rebound control was atrocious. I mean, we were kicking stuff to to the other team. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, I guess the the plus side, though, is like you said, it's it's a very small sample size. So I think, you know, there's every every you, know, you always talk about how uh, I think you can take any goalie in the history of hockey and, and find a four game stretch that makes you think that they have never worn pads before. Right. So it's, it's not something to necessarily give up hope and, and walk on. And then the other I think the other positive is. Frankly, Dallas doesn't have a lot of options, so he's going to get a chance to come into training camp and get himself right. He's going to get a chance to play in Cedar Park this year and and potentially prove that he can be a, you know, I think he she'll always sort of more project as like a long term backup option at the the top level. But he's he's going to have some road to to make things right. But, man, they're just, you know, there just was not a lot there to to give you any optimism.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, and to tell you the truth, I wasn't absolutely disappointed with Poirier. Um just uh, that's the first time I've really seen him play. Uh he plays in the queue. Um, it looks like he finally has a decent set of teammates with him this year. So that team uh, what is it, Gapno, yeah, I think. Um they they finally you know, it's been a bad team and now I think this year they're supposed to be fairly decent. So uh I'll, he he, at least especially in the last game, had you know he was able to absorb the puck, not give up too many rebounds and and they uh, they took care of business. So that was kind of a bright spot going out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it'll be it'll be interesting because this is that is an area where you, you have to think that in the in terms of the minor league system and in terms of the prospect pool, that's an area where Dallas still has some work that they need to do. Of course, the crease, but um, yep. you know, I think on the balance, if you're the Dallas Stars, I, I will say, and and Mark, feel free to challenge me. I think if you're the Dallas Stars, you are happy with the way the tournament went as a whole because the guys that you need sooner. Did okay, right? The 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 Delandrias of the world um, did okay. The guys that you've just drafted showed flashes and promise, and the guys that struggled aren't necessarily the ones that are going to make or break your season, right? So none of the you know you know none of the big stuff went wrong, and so I think if you're the stars, you're you're coming out of it largely thinking like, okay, this is going to be all right.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I, I forget which broadcast it was. I think it might have been the Detroit guys. Now, they they said, you know, of all the teams that came out, Dallas was the one that came with a different kind of team. They came almost exclusively with prospects. Um, there was only one guy who wasn't really a, a prospect uh, coming in. Um, all the other teams are coming in with older teams, with guys who are, who are getting tryouts, getting looks. They're older. Um, so we were really out there with, uh, with some raw talent. And so that kind of shows up in the results.
0: Yeah, I think so. But, um, it's in the, it's in the, hisp- it's in the back now. Next, next stop, you know, Dallas, Texas, and of course, training camp open today. We're, we're going to bring in, you know, Mark stick around obviously, but we're going to bring in, uh, managing editor Taylor Baird to join us and talk a little bit about day one of stars camp. Taylor, are you, are you here yet?
2: I'm here and soridden Holby's tortoises.
0: We've we, as we've learned, thank goodness represent maple and honey and um you know obviously those dominated the the narrative for day 1 of training camp but let's get into some of the other you know lesser storylines and um where where would you like to start?
2: Um gosh, there's so many places to start. I guess we could maybe start with um how Jim Nill kind of opened training camp. So Generally speaking, the way training camps kind of go is you have the first on ice session, you see some guys on the ice, and you go, yay, hockey's back. Um, And then we get Jim Nill, who comes down, and he talks to the assembled media, and he gives us updates kind of on the status of the team heading into camp. So this is when you typically learn if a guy sustained an energy – an an injury – Um, during his training, you get updates on guys who had, uh, surgeries in the off season and that kind of thing. And so, you know, obviously Dallas has a number of those types of guys that they, that everyone is kind of focused in on. Um, so kind of run down the list, uh, Alexander Radulov, one thing we learned was, um, what shut him down for the season was a groin tear, essentially. You don't
0: want that. No,
2: no, Um, ma'am. And it's something that I guess he said that he had had like a small tear dating back to his KHL days. And it had always been manageable um, just by, you know, not taking practices, you know, not taking optional skates, that kind of thing. Um, And then when he got to the bubble, it just it got to the point where I guess he like kind of re-pulled it aggravated it um i I guess having to
0: skate on it every other day for a season didn't do it any favors either huh
2: definitely did not help um and then he said there was one shift in columbus where he felt he felt something different it pulled even more and it had just kind of reached that point where it was time to get it surgically repaired and so that's actually what ended up happening to him um i'm not sure we had you know Full insight into what happened to him last season, but that's why he only played eleven games last year.
0: Yeah, I think they left it. the The only thing that got circulated it was it was core muscle, is what they kept going back to. He had a core. <laughs> it was a core muscle issue, and then it was core muscle surgery, and um, we never really got a lot more, a um, lot more information than that.
2: So core injuries, note to self, means.
0: I Corey, my groin. core equals groin there we go you heard it here first folks tortoises and groin injuries is where we're where we're landing right. I guess that that's our title this time tortoises and groin injuries
2: um, and then how so does Tyler
0: Sagan's cybernetic leg look
2: um, oh man I will say I will say this so obviously the first couple of days in camp it's really hard for me to answer how did guys look so I'm like they did drills They look like NHL players doing well. But I
0: I will say it's easier with this Stars team this season because most of those people were prone last year.
2: True. So just to see guys on skates and upright, kind of an improvement. Um, But Tyler Sagan, I will say this. He looks like a very motivated man. The way that he kind of talks about his injury and, you know, basically uh, how he essentially said that he went through this reset of his career and that's what he kept calling it a reset something that he wouldn't wish on anybody um but as he evaluates the fact that he's entering into it, and i quote this is the exact wording he used the back nine of his career oh, God!
0: great when does his new extension kick in <laughs>
2: It already has, um, but uh, you know, like he, he also kind of you know talked about being a veteran and how he hadn't really had time to get to know guys like the younger guys coming up, you know, off the ice because when you're playing game in game out, like you're just you know in that game day routine, but not being able to play last season for most of the season he was kind of relegated to a, a almost cheerleader style role so he was taking young guys to and from practices and in like, a minivan kind of... i assume <laughs> yeah definitely he tyler's taking roles in a minivan it's probably tricked um,
0: out but it's a minivan
2: but you know he talked about being you know feeling 100 percent, and that it's the first time in a couple of years because he had had some nagging things that had kind of bar- all always bothered him um and just being able to get those kind of right you know felt good but one thing i thought was really interesting was when you know usually to start the start media availabilities especially during training camps um you know it's the first time that a lot of guys have seen the media um in a while and so they you know there's always these kind of niceties like hey how was your summer et cetera. and somebody asked tyler sagan how he felt and he said I feel dangerous, and I took that to mean like I'm ready to get out on the ice and do some damage.
0: Hopefully, he means in in a to the other team context and not the further destruction of his body.
2: Correct. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> he's he's got that other hip now in his sights.
2: <laughs> oh jeez. Um, but yeah, so like he he looked really good. He was one of the fastest in his group um, out in the drills, which. I think is what you kind of anticipate and expect from Tyler Sagan when he's in a training camp is to look faster than the guy next to him. So he and Radulov were in the same group and they, he Radulov and Kibiranta actually formed a trio and some drills and looked a little deadly. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. I don't read a lot into line combinations in the day one of training camp because it's really more about just getting your legs under them
0: It's, it's day two when everything gets finalized for the season. That's, that's the, the secret.
2: Definitely. Um, more like, you know, preseason game five, but you know, whatever. Of course. I do. Since
0: you did mention, since you did mention line con combinations, I did want to ask one of the things that had, that did make the rounds is, um, the way the groups were split up, uh, you wound up with Klingberg and Suter in one and Miro and Lindell in the other. And, you know, yes, the groups don't mean anything, but at the same time, have they just decided to keep upping the level of difficulty on Miro to see how good he can be under under duress?
2: I don't know if it's that or if it's more... um, I think they're going to try to see if there's some chemistry between Suter, Klingberg, and then... Essa Lindell and Miro Haskinen. I think that, you know, and that's the great thing about camp is you can do things like that and see if they work. And if they don't, like, you're not really, really hurting yourself much. Um, you're not losing any points to that experiment. And so I think, you know, I think in terms of experimentation and things like that, Things are gonna work out how they work out for the forwards, but I think during training camp is when we're really gonna see how the for, how the defensive parents start to shake out. Um, you know, and as, and as the time moves along and as preseason games get under them, you know, and as and and we are we actually were talking about this, you know, amongst the media contingent. You know, the amount of non-NHL players in training camp tends to go down the more home preseason games you have and the closer to the season you have. Mm-hmm. So if there's a bunch of road games up front, then they send the bare minimum uh, veteran required players to go. And then they send a bunch of kids um, to go play on the road so that the veteran players don't have to travel during the preseason, which I guess they are that particular right, but if you have, you know, a a backloaded home schedule, then you'll see the roster get cut down a lot faster, so something to keep an eye on. Yeah,
0: it's, 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 I think you made a good point, and this is a theme, I think, of the summer, And, and this is, a largely settled like this is a team where the storylines coming into and out of training camp are going to be far less around who makes the team there there are exceptions right we just finished talking about thomas harley for half an hour but um this is much more a team where the questions are going to be how the pieces fit together than it is a team about where we're wondering what the who the pieces are going to be Right, where people get grouped. So we're we're going to fixate on those practice groupings because we want to learn what does this team look like if Jamie Jamie Ben is a center versus a winger. Does Kiviranta get a a shot in the top six with somebody? We're we're looking in. At that, that much more than we're looking at, does you know so and so on the cusp with the Texas Stars finally breakthrough? Because there's we're at a point in the developmental cycle where there really isn't that guy right now, and it's it's much more about figuring out what the coaches are comfortable with. And and you know we talked a lot last season, right, about they didn't really have a chance to practice. So you know Rick Bonus, and, and you know mileage may vary, but Rick Bonus has yet to really get a stretch to like implement his vision, right? A system with this team and really practice and install it. So in a, in a very strange way, coming into what his third season as stars coach, he finally has a chance to, you know, mold the roster and make adjustments. And so I think that's, that's going to be an interesting element to watch over the next couple of days. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely. And actually I want, I want people to kind of think about this. Rick bonus became the interim head coach in December of 2019. Since that time, less than two years he has gone through the winter classic they entirely getting shut down due to covid with no idea if they were even going to be able to finish the season an entire bubble playoff run to the stanley cup finals with the training camp preceding that leaving the bubble not knowing when you're going to start hockey again coming into a training camp having your entire team shut down because of a covid outbreak playing a few games Having your entire season shut down for a week because the state of Texas tried to kill everyone because it was cold and our electrical like, grid decided to go boom, and then playing like something along the lines of forty-two games in seventy-seven nights or seventy-eight nights or something along those lines, that kind of proportion, basically playing every other night for almost eighty days straight. I don't know of any other coach coach that it's, had it's an unprecedented
0: even, even in a stretch of unprecedented adversity, like I, I agree with you completely say, which again, mileage may vary, but I think that that is absolutely fair and absolutely accurate to say that this team has had such a bizarre set of circumstances inflicted upon them. I'm, I, I, was being very serious and that one of the most interesting storylines to me coming into training camp is this coaching staff actually has an opportunity to coach this roster in a way that they haven't since before COVID. <laughs> I mean, the last the last time this team had anything anything approaching a coherent stretch of training and implementation was when Jim Montgomery still ran the team. And that's a little bit insane when you think about how long ago that was.
2: Well, and it's also insane to think that a team that in one calendar year was in a Stanley Cup final game, played two training camps, a COVID outbreak, a shortened season, like... Things are going great. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, you know, it's like, it's kind of funny because there was this like, okay, every training camp always opens with this whole like positive vibe, we're going to be great, you know, kind of mentality from every player, every staff member every coach that you that you speak to or see but this year more than any other that i have seen on the beat the guys just look so pumped to just (laughs) be playing
0: well they know they're not going to see the rest of the team every single day for that i i just have this image in my mind i'm a big airplane fan of um rick bonus as lloyd bridges over the course of the last two years saying well pick the pick the wrong day to stop sniffing glue pick the wrong day to stop doing methamphetamines it's just like progressively getting more insane as things just unraveled around him
2: yeah so it'll be really interesting and you know i think the other thing that we need to talk about um that kind of came out of training camp was ben bishop's injury status so yeah i know
0: before you get into that i, I sorry i'm yes. I, The only reason I want to cut you off is it has come up a couple of times in questions and comments like, oh, why are you guys still talking about Ben Bishop? Why are you guys still – he's not going to play? Well, the thing is we don't know that he's not going to play. And then the other thing is this isn't just us being silly because it's the summer and there's nothing to talk about. This is us saying – this is us reacting to the fact that that the Dallas Stars are currently – I think I did the math. They're like $4.2 million over the salary cap, right? And so it's not just – the human interest element of, will Ben Bishop come and resume his career? And that's interesting. There's also the element of, Jim Neal took very tangible steps to build a roster in a way that put it four point whatever million dollars over the cap. And the last time I counted, I think there were like seven players that you could subtract or sorry, six players that you could, you know, Ben and uh, Ben Sagan, Pavelski, Lindell. Like there's a very small number of guys that you could remove to become cap compliant if it's not Ben Bishop. And so the reason dear listeners that we're, we're spending so much time talking about this this summer isn't because we lack other things to talk about. It's because this is really a, Dallas has a major, major, major problem on their hands. And we're just all kind of assuming right now that Ben Bishop being on LTR is the solution to that problem. Because if he's not, things are going to get really, really weird really, really fast.
2: Yeah, so we actually spoke with Ben Bishop at training camp today um, about his injury status and how he felt kind of coming into camp. So a couple of really key things to know out of that uh, discussion. one. He basically said that he had a knee scope right after the COVID shutdown in the league. So, basically, I guess it had been bothering him leading up to that league shutdown, and he took the opportunity to get something fixed. He went into the bubble and he said that it didn't quite feel right while he was in the bubble. And given the parameters within which you were operating within the bubble, It's not like you could go get a second opinion or anything like that. So basically, they tried to manage his situation. Um, Obviously, that did not go well. Um, And then when when he left the bubble, he got his second opinions and he was essentially able to go and they went in and went to go fix it again and they found that his meniscus had torn. He also said that there were a few other things quote unquote <laughs> that, nothing like nothing like earth shattering but he wouldn't go into the specifics of the quote unquote other things um that they found when they went in and did that scope um that have kind of contributed to his prolonged recovery but essentially coming out of that surgery they told him it would take him six months to recover And I don't think we had ever heard at any point that that was the kind of estimated timeline. And he also said that he had to be on crutches for six weeks, couldn't put any weight on his leg. And then he had to learn, he had to relearn how to walk because you essentially like repaired an essential muscle, tendon, whatever. Well,
0: I was going to say, that's not typical to repairing a meniscus.
2: (laughs) So yeah, so that was probably one of those quote unquote other things that he said. Um, but that was what he described to us was that he had to learn how to rewalk, and so he was a full participant in training camp, and he's expected to be a full participant. He has not actually been cleared to play, which means that if an NHL regular season game were to be played today, um, he would not be medically able to do so. Um, but I guess preseason it plays under different rules, um, and so he talked about wanting to be able to get into a preseason game to see how his knee was holding up. And for now, it's kind of all about building up strength and and trust in the knee that he essentially had surgically repaired. And I guess as a goaltender, that yeah, that trust part probably plays more into it than anything else because it's it not is kind insignificant. Of a kind of a mental um, position. So that's where he's at. And I think it's a little curious that right now he said his plan or his goal is to definitely play for the Dallas Stars this season. Um, But one thing that kind of jumped out at me was if this doesn't work, he said this is like an all or nothing situation where there is no next step of what could we do to fix this. So if he doesn't ever get back to feeling good about his knee, I don't know that he ever will. Yeah. In and terms I mean, of playing for the NHL for an NHL team. So that probably that in that uncertainty probably played into some of Jim Mill's um, you know, moves this offseason. Also probably explains why the team is so far all over the cap. <laughs> and would definitely makes him for interesting. Gymnastics, if they did have to get back under the cap, if the Bishop did get healthy enough to actually play and contribute meaningfully at the NHL level this season.
0: It's, you know, it's it's one of those unfortunate things about sports fandom, right? Because the the human being side of it is, it would be wonderful for everything to be fine. And then counterbalanced by the the strictly, you know, sports fandom side of things is, Holy smokes, it would be in many ways catastrophic if everything was fine. And so it's that's definitely, you know, it it may not be the most fun or the the most interesting topic to keep an eye on as as training camp rumbles on. But in terms of the Dallas Stars overall outlook for the coming season and and what the roster is going to look like, like the literal roster is going to look like, there is no story more important right now than Ben Bishop's knee. Uh, There just isn't.
2: Yeah, Um. Oh, because we haven't even talked about the other two. So Rupe Hence is also not cleared to play, but he's expected to come or be ready to go come opening day. Um. So essentially he was held out of five-on-five practices today, or those five-on-five drills, not practices. So because they didn't want him to get bumped or jostled around uh, because he hasn't technically been cleared for contact. And then the Dallas Stars announced that basically every member of The staff, coaching staff, trainers, you know, executives, anyone who interacts with the team itself, as well as every anticipated NHL player has been vaccinated. The only one in the organization that is unvaccinated is Joel Esperance, and he cited family choices as the reason for that. And kind of reading between the lines, it sounds like, there's maybe some hesitancy in terms of long-term effects on on the body that could play into his ability to have a family later down the line. Um,
0: Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend, of course, being the the concern.
2: <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going but you know, <laughs> but Rudy right Minaj the lines. it it definitely sounded like that might have been a concern when he talked about know where he and his wife are and where their family is at in terms of all of that he wouldn't explicitly state that that was the concern but he said quote there are personal things um that are definitely being considered by my wife and I and i mean okay it is what <laughs> um, it is. That's, that's that's the choice he made um and he understands that it could definitely impact his family and basically said i understand that this could impact my career, but my family's more important. And, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with that particular standpoint.
0: We'll see. In um, general. In general. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's a, a busy, a busy day one of training camp. And, and before we, before we wrap things up, I'll, I'll hit both um, Mark, if you're still on, what is you know, what are you looking for? Give me, give me the top of your mind heading into day two. We'll start with you, Taylor. <laughs>
2: Heading into day two. I expect to see more drills. Yep. Um, I expect to see more guys who skate. I'm really hoping to be able to talk to Bray and be more about Maple and Honey. Because obviously they are the stars of training camp. And, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest thing for training camp, and, it, and I've always said this for every year going back for as long as I've been doing this, is just get out of it healthy. Like, yeah, just, especially with this team. Nobody just... going crazy. Let's not. Um, there was like kind of almost this sense of like this unbridled energy amongst a lot of players. And I'm like, OK, let's rein that in a little bit so that you don't hurt somebody inadvertently.
0: I love it. You know? I love it. Mark, how about you? What's, oh, sorry.
2: Radulov. You yeah, Radulov. No, I was gonna say Radulov uh, celebrates even empty net goals in practice practices. If you know, he just won the Stanley Cup, so that's kind of exciting to see back. Kind of good, good time, good vibes.
1: He's a big, he's a big vibes guy. Uh, Mark, how about you? Well, I stayed on the whole time, expecting to hear Radik Fox update, and I heard nothing. <laughs> oh,
2: Full participant, looked great, doesn't seem to be hampered at all. Is there anybody else that was injured? I, I don't know. I feel like they were the walking dead last year. so I, They were all injured. I kind of feel like if I didn't <laughs> mention them, then they were good and nothing ever stood out about them. As <laughs> long good. as the
0: building didn't burn down they're ahead of where they were at this point last season, I feel like.
1: Yep. I mean, other than that, uh, other than getting a Tanner care update, I'm good. Then, he was out then,
2: there. He was on the ice. He there exists.
1: <laughs> this,
0: that brings to the Tanner Talk, everyone's favorite segment of the Stargazing podcast. So thank you both for joining me. I think this was very enlightening. It's, it's nice to finally have actual hockey to talk about um can't wait taylor to hear the updates from the team maple versus team honey scrimmage that i think is scheduled for a little bit later this week and um we'll just keep the updates coming as we get them pay attention to the site pay attention to the podcast we actually do listen uh, throw us a like throw us a download throw us a question um we're all here you can you can find our socials in the post so uh yeah looking forward to another season and thanks for listening